Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to the latest episode of Trendlebed Tales. Tonight's episode is episode number 59, and we are going to be talking about playing Laura Historic Clothing. But before we get started on that, I think we have time to take a little um, housekeeping. So here we go. And that is to remind everybody that if you want to call in with a comment or question, you can call 714-242-5253. That's 714-242-5253 or toll-free 1-877-633-9389. That's toll-free 1-877-633-9389. Or you can chat while we live stream episodes, and the chat room is currently open. Finally, though, I want to make sure everybody is aware of my next episode, episode 60. Now, this is going to be a special episode. First off, because it is number 60th of our numbered episodes, and I'm pretty excited about that, and also because it's going to be a special call-in episode. Now, we've been doing this for a couple years for the Laura Ingalls Wilder birthday celebration, but I want to try it this time for something on a little bit more of a specific topic. And what it's going to be is travel tips for Laura Ingalls Wilder vacations. This is going to be Thursday, October 30th, 2014 at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 8 p.m. Central Time, 7 p.m. Mountain Time, and 6 p.m. Pacific Time. We're calling on fans, and we hope we get a lot of response. As people start planning their Laura Ingalls Wilder trips for the next year, we want to give them the best advice, and we're counting on you. Call in and give us your best Laura-related travel trip. Which route do you take? What's your favorite lore trip-related discovery? Is there a cool store everyone should visit? Where's the best place to stay? Which home sites are best for adults only? Which home sites are best with kids? Single stop or big circle route? Should you do back-to-back pageants? Plus, any related tip or hint you can think up. And also, although I didn't uh, add it in the description, it's also a great time to ask travel-related Laura questions. So, if you want to know anything about the home sites, about their history, about what to do, what to expect, how long to allow between them or at one, feel all in and ask your questions. Now, I'm not going to guarantee I know all of them. Pretty bad on airport questions because I never fly to any of the Laura sites, but we will take your, uh, do our best shot, and if I don't know, maybe somebody else listening will. So I hope that I will see all of you back here Thursday, October 30th for travel trips for Laura Ingalls Wilder Vacations. 
And I think that's about it for our housekeeping today. So let's get back to the regular program. And this episode is a little different because I am starting a new sub-series of episodes. Now, I'm not going to be doing these on a real regular basis, but I think from time to time it'll be an interesting subject to bring up. Because one of the things that I find a lot of fans have in common is that they used to or still do play Laura. And I figure that there are some different ways people do that, and it would be worth talking about them and sharing about them on the show. Now, if you have an idea about how that uh, you played Laura or how somebody else might have played Laura, that would be a good topic. Um, For example, trying out things that were in the books, playing with Laura or Charlotte dolls, um, anything that you can think of, be sure to let me know and we'll see about if we can do an episode for that. But the first thing I wanted to start with, because I see this a lot and hear about it a lot, is people playing dress-up to be Laura. And so I want to talk a little bit about that tonight. Now, it's just going to be sort of an introduction. I'm actually hoping to get a couple other people that are more uh, dedicated to historic uh, clothing to hopefully come on the show for some interviews eventually. But this is just sort of going to be an introduction. Now, the first thing to know, that is if you're going to get serious about it, And as I'm going to say in a minute, you don't necessarily have to. But if you do get serious about it, you talk about it as historic clothing, not a costume. Because a costume is something kind of silly you wear on Halloween. Historic clothing has got a little bit more of a serious and accurate connotation. It's clothes you wear to be a historic character. So if you're going to be be just playing around, playing Laura, it's okay to wear a costume. If you're really going to look at it seriously, it's historic clothing. And the other big point I wanted to make right up front was that everyone starts somewhere. Now, it may be that what you're working on, your first attempt at a historic outfit, is going to have a ton of historical mistakes. My first Laura dress, Uh, that my grandmother made me, and I love it because she made it for me. But, and actually, the calico I picked isn't that bad. But the length of it is wrong. It has a zipper. It's just not really the kind of thing that I, if I wanted to be accurate, I should have been wearing. So, Everybody, even my, even the person I respect most, the historic clothing, I, she gave a program once and she said the same thing and everyone starts somewhere and she showed me this, uh, showed the group a photo of her in her first historic dress, which she had heard that gingham was popular in the 19th century. So she's got like these inch and a half squares of lavender gingham squares and it looked terrible. So everybody has to start somewhere. And it may be that you want 
to stay right at that level. If you are going to just be using this for a one-off time, uh, you know, you're going to be dressing up because you have to give a presentation in school or they're having a pioneer day, and you just want something basically for that one day, you're never going to wear it again, or at least you think you're never going to wear it again. I mean, it would be silly to waste too much time trying to be historically accurate, though I still think you can put a little bit of effort into it and be a little better than some of the things I've seen. But, again, you know, it's one time. Some things it's easier than others. For example, I have seen a lot of volunteer docents at historic village type places, which are fairly local museums. And what they do is they have a um, long black skirt, white blouse with a collar, and it's just sort of a normal shirt collar. And they turn it up and put a pin where that overlaps. Is that accurate? Not at all. It does at least give them a sort of a different look, kind of a impression that you're kind of creating. So whether you're adult or kids, there are times when you're just going to be doing it a few times. It isn't worth a lot of time or effort to uh, really make it a great costume. But like I said, everybody's got to start somewhere. And sometimes those one-time shots end up being something that you come back to a lot. Now, I'm going to be talking mostly about girls and women in this because we are the ones who are probably going to play Laura. But I do want to mention a little bit about men and boys, too. And I think um, I may just go ahead and I think I'm going to go ahead and mention them now and kind of get them out of the way. One of the things that I have discovered lately, since I now have a nephew who wants in a historic outfit too, is that there isn't a lot out there for boys. I mean, pre-made, patterns, anything. Uh, there are men's shirt patterns from the 19th century. They're pretty readily available. And there are men's, you know, other outfits. There's even men's pre-made outfits here or there at different sites. Especially there's a lot of stuff uh, for the military, which really isn't appropriate for uh, playing Laura usually, but there are lots of military things. Um, there are some things that, you know, are more cowboy and western. There's, there's quite a bit of that that's ready-made. But there are some places that have just regular 19th century clothes, ready-made and patterned. So men's are pretty much doable. Boys are pretty hard. And I don't have a good answer for that yet. I'm still kind of working on it. I did get him a pair of suspenders because uh, the Loringles Wilder Park Museum in Baroque, Iowa, now carries boys' size suspenders, which so far is about the only thing that I have found ready-made that is really something that I'm willing to have him be seen in. So he's got his suspenders as a start, and we're going to have to build the costume from there, hopefully over this winter, so that if we get to do a Laura site next year, which I'm really hoping we get to, then uh, not only will my niece have a Laura outfit, but he'll have some historic clothes to wear too, because I think he will enjoy it a lot more. So right now, boys are a big question, and if anybody has some suggestions on historic boys' clothing, I would be glad to hear them. 
the only one that I have been able to really find in terms of pre-made, even going to historic settlers and looking, are these tops that look like 80s, 1980s women's blouses. I, I don't know why they started thinking these were boys' shirts. They don't look a thing like anything I've ever seen, but in historic pictures or historic clothing or anything, but don't get those if you see them. So that was boys and men. Now, women and girls. There are a lot of things that have been pre-made for girls and a lot of things that you can get that are pre-made for women. And there are also patterns of various kinds. So the first thing you have to decide is who exactly are you going to be? Are you trying to be Laura, Mary, Carrie, Grace, Ma, Rose? Or are you just going to be trying to be a generic kind of pioneer? Then you have to decide, era will you be wanting to portray? Because people don't always stay the same age. They grow up. Laura lived from 1867 to 1957, and she did not wear the same type of clothes the whole time. And I would try and stick at least reasonably close to the age you actually are. For example, if you are a grown woman, braids in costume, I mean, there's nothing wrong with wearing braids if you're just um, out and about, but braids in costume probably aren't the best look for you. So try and stay kind of close to your own age, but you can pick whatever you want. Um, there is a lot of stuff, late Victorian, that's easy to find in terms of pattern, in terms of pre-made. Tends to be less once you cross that line into the 20th century. Edwardian stuff is starting to come in a little bit more. Uh, they really kind of see a die out then by the time you get to the 1920s and 30s, which is really a shame because there have been several rather well done uh, 1930s living history sites that opened in the last few years, but it's it's hard to find 1930s clothes, and I don't necessarily know anybody else who's trying to do a 1930s Laura, but, you know, the more the merrier if anybody wants to. But as I say, there's quite a bit in the way of late pioneer stuff. So I'm going to really be mostly focusing on that. Now, I see still a lot of dresses. And, and again, if this is just a one-time thing, this is perfectly fine. But I have seen a lot of people showing up with dresses from sort of the pioneer revival period of the 1980s, which was when I was in elementary school. And it's pretty obvious that that's what the dress is. It's a 1980s dress, not a pioneer dress, not a Victorian dress. It's a 1980s dress. Uh, the look of the lace, the type of material, the plastic button, all pretty much giveaways that that's a 1980s dress. You'll also see a lot of um, centennial dresses that are still around. And again, a lot of these often have very nice family stories, and it's nice to wear them, but we really weren't too concerned about historical accuracy. Now, 
for girls especially, they have bonnets and aprons or bonnets and apron dresses that are available for sale at most of the home site stores. There are also some people, sutlers, you usually call them within reenacting, that produce historic clothing just for people to buy. And a lot of times, uh, they, these dresses for the home sites and, and people who cater to Laura fans tend to be sort of extra large so that the child can grow into it. They tend to be kind of shapeless and formless just so to give a few, so you can wear it longer, basically. Which is, again, fine if that's your purpose. But if you're trying to be accurate, some things to try and avoid. First of all, as Laura talks about in her book, it is it was a big deal when you got old enough to have a long skirt. I, I really don't know where this idea of little girls wearing long skirts came from, but it seems to be pretty darn well established, but it really isn't true. Little girls would wear skirts usually to just under the knee or so, sometimes right above the knee, and quite often they would have, you know, some kind of panelette sticking out underneath or coming down at least as far as the skirt. But they're not to their ankles. When your skirts went down, your hair went up, you were, you know, 16, somewhere in there age-wise. And I don't think that's really the image these these girls are going for. So while a longer skirt means you can wear it longer because, ironically, when you get to the age or closer to the age where you'd actually have long skirts, it's now being accurately short. Um, but really, if you want a good job, you want a shorter skirt. You don't want all the way down to the ankles when they're a little kid. You also want to look out for things that were no not invented in the 19th century. Uh, the zipper, the first practical zipper, uh, didn't come in until after the turn of the century. I mean, the concept had been there, but none of them really worked, and they weren't used in clothing. So zippers are bad. Elastic was not near, didn't work near as well as elastic that you get today. So those little puffed sleeves with the elastic in them, really not good at all. And the pinafores actually are pretty good. A lot of times people would have pinafores or some kind of apron because it was a lot of effort to make a dress. The more often you washed the dress, the less time it would last. So if you could have some kind of apron or you know, uh, pinafore that was a lot easier to make, a lot easier to wash, if it got dirty, if it got stained, hopefully the dress under it that it was protecting would still be fine. So people did wear a lot more aprons and pinafore type things. So that is a good thing to have. A lot of times people had um, boots too and the tie-ups, Boots are best. Sometimes the best you can do is finding those with a zipper. Um, actual snow boots, I wouldn't recommend for people in the summer, though I have seen it. Uh, and more of a fitted boot, not just sort of a loose 
um, slip-on type boot is better if you possibly can find it. Quick laces were not something that was invented back then, but a lot of times that's the only kind of, of tie boots you can find unless you are willing to pay a lot of money. So I, I think it's perfectly fine to have them. Though be aware if you're looking, if you're a, a grown woman looking to do this, there is a bad tendency of quick laces, which are those little metal things that stick out at the top of your boots. So when you like pull the laces up regularly, like you would in a tennis shoe, there will a lot of times be several of those what they call quick laces at the top where you just kind of quickly loop the the a lace over them a couple times and then tie it at the top of the quick laces. Those little metal things love to grab hems. So if you have a long skirt on as an adult woman, watch that because it can rip your your hem out and trip you if you aren't careful. But as they say, a lot of times quick laces are about the only kind of boots that you're going to to find without spending a lot of money and I I think it's a minor point but if you're you're interested in getting better as you improve your outfit that might be something you want to look into getting boots without quick laces now there are also uh patterns that you can buy to make outfits there is even for pattern makers like Butterick, Simplicity, McCall's, we'll have historic dresses. Now, one of mine, floor dress I had, was one of these type of patterns. But if it's the same pattern that has a little pilgrim girl and a pioneer girl and maybe a colonial maid on it, that is not going to be an accurate pattern at all. Although all three of these basic pattern companies in the last oh, decade or so are getting better. They're still not being what someone who actually was interested in historic clothing would call historically accurate, but they're looking a lot closer. They aren't being just that sort of one outfit with a few different trimmings to sort of kind of make it look time period, they're actually trying. And there are some that are, you know, sort of decent looking. And again, you're looking at kind of spear game. It's, there are any of them are far better than the white blouse with the turned up collar. A lot of them are better than, you know, just the, the basic ones you could find to buy. But they aren't really great. There are some patterns available that are historically accurate. And the one that has probably the best reputation is past patterns. Now, if you've seen me present or pictures of me online, you may have seen me in my blue plaid pioneer or, well, pioneer or prairie dress with the princess style buttons in the front. And that is made off of a uh, past patterns pattern. Now, I will warn you that my grandmother uh, sewed it with me and she did not enjoy the experience. First of all, I should not have tried the plaid. I said a plaid that didn't have a top or a bottom or a right and a wrong or a left and a right. And I thought, okay, this has got to be the easiest plaid ever to work with. 
we can surely do it and it looks pretty. Well, it did look very pretty, but it was just terrible to try and match up the plaids. So especially if this is your first effort, don't buy plaids. She found it hard to work with their patterns because they are sort of a different, 19th century patterns had sort of a different concept, a different idea behind them than 20th century patterns. So it just was a completely different experience and all the experience she had with working with that kind of Butterick McCall's patterns from you know 1930s 1940s on really did not help and probably hurt her to some extent because she kept trying to do things the way she was used to doing them instead of following the directions so I will give that as a warning uh, that if you're dealing with someone who is not familiar with historic patterns whether it's somebody within your family, or if it's someone who's just a local seamstress, they are probably going to get frustrated using a, a patterns, a past patterns a pattern. Just as a heads up, tell them that going in, and they will probably take it a little better. Now, you will find for both kids and adults, sutlers who put, produce historic clothing and they have it for you available to sell. Now, as I said, some of the people who do dresses just for Laura fans, you know, technically are sutlers. They probably, most of them, wouldn't know that name if you said it to them. It actually comes from the name that they uh, called merchants who came to sell to the camp during the Civil War. But just because a place that specializes in historic clothing, even one that talks about authenticity or accuracy, may or may not be accurate. Now, if you watched along when I went to Walnut Grove this summer, which I still have a couple of those videos to edit, but you saw one of the things is I stopped and got an uh, 1890s blouse because I needed an 1890s blouse and I really didn't have time to make one. And I have had issues with the place I got it before. Um, but it was a nice, it was ready-made blouse. It was to the right pattern. It fit me. I did have to cut off all the buttons, which were plastic, and replace them with some more period-friendly metal buttons. They they probably weren't the most accurate things in the world, but they at least were something that existed in the 1890s. So you may have to make some adjustments for that. And you may, sometimes for accuracy, sometimes for wearability. My grandmother had an 1890s blouse that I had gotten for her for when she was helping me with the Laura Day at Escher's Ferry, and she just couldn't bear it because the sleeves puffed so high. She said she felt like she had blinders on, so she had to adjust the poof of the sleeves upward, not because it was more historically accurate, but she just couldn't stand it. And these clothes do have to be, if you're going to be wearing them, on an even sort of regular basis, you want them to be things you're comfortable in. So sometimes that has to take sort of a, a balance. 
Now, I did want to also make sure that I talked about uh, some of the undergarments for historic clothing. Now, think about it. Think about hoop skirts for a second. Now, I'm not expecting everybody to have a hoop skirt, but if you imagine that kind of 1860s hoop that you've seen in the movies and it's just huge or they show it when they do a little bow peep sometimes and it really kind of holds the skirt out. If you don't have the proper undergarments, even if they aren't as dramatic as that, you're not going to hold yourself the same. The material and clothing isn't going to exactly fit the same, and it's going to look different on you. So I'm not saying that it's a stage that everybody has to get to, but working towards historic undergarments is something you probably want to do as you get more historically accurate because it just adapts the look and feel of the garment. You will never look 100% white until you have the actual undergarments. And they make a big difference. You can visually tell whether somebody is wearing the right undergarments or not, even if you can't see them. So that's something to bear in mind as you get more accurate, too. And we're about out of time for people who are streaming live, but I did want to clean mention, and then you have to watch other things. Uh, your watches, jewelry, hair, glasses, shoes, shawl or coat, having clothing for different seasons, um, having makeup or not. There are lots of things that you will, as you work on wearing historic clothing more and more, for those of you that do progress on, that there are lots of little things you can do to be more accurate. Again, not everybody will want to do that. Some people, one time, that one time wearing a costume to class that you can make up out of things in your closet are perfectly fine. If you want something sort of, kind of accurate, because you've got a day camp or something you're going to, or you think it would be fun to have a Laura-ish dress to wear when you visit the home sites or pictures, historical accuracy may not matter to you. The more you play Laura, the more I think you're going to want to move along that chain to being accurate. Now, some people may fall out along the way that that's as accurate as they want to go to. But I think even if you don't want to be all that accurate, it's important to understand where you are along that, that road of accuracy. And if you're not accurate and you're happy with it, that's fine. But you should know you're not accurate. And that, I think, is an introduction to historic clothing and playing Laura. I hope that you got at least a little good out of it. If anybody has any questions or comments, I'm hoping this new series will catch on and that there will be a little feedback, and I'd be glad to uh, talk with anybody. And I really think historic clothing is a topic that we will cover again. So looking forward to seeing you then and reminding everybody that October 30th, uh, that's Thursday, October 30th, 
2014. 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 8 p.m. Central Time, 7 p.m. Mountain Time, 6 p.m. Pacific Time, we are going to have a Travel Tips call-in show. So whether you have a tip or a question, call in. And remember, this is Trendlebed Tales saying to brighten the corner where you are. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.